So if you have a Bible, uh, turn to the book of Luke, chapter 18. And you've had a lot thrown at you in announcements with Tom and in this, so um, we, we, want, we want Jesus to be the focus. Uh, so let me pray quick, um, kind of bring us back, all right? Father God, I'm so thankful for this place, and I thank you for uh, Tom and what he's done and um, how the way you've impacted him has impacted so many people this church and this place and I thank you for Tim and the way you've made him and how uh, he's been influential in my life and in so many people's lives but we know none of that is reality without you that you move in the hearts of people and the lives of people and when you do that stuff happens great God stuff happens so father we want to be obedient people like that we want to be people you work through so, Father, in this hour, help us to just push distractions aside and look into your text with open hearts that we would learn and that you would change us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want to talk about following Jesus today. I figured I couldn't go wrong with that on kind of a farewell sermon. Um, and this is, this is for everybody, really, whether you're young or old or rich or poor, if you're a hipster or a rancher. Um, if Jesus were here, the invitation to all of us would be the same. Come follow me, right? And even if you push back, like, well, I got questions, I'm not quite sure, you'd still say, that's fine, follow me. Or you don't know my past, that's fine, follow me. Come and follow me, learn from me, get to know me, learn, learn about my life the way I live, just follow me. Um, and you see, Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher. He traveled around and he taught people. And he invited people to follow him when he did that. He was a rabbi, and rabbi has, has disciples. Disciples are people that followed their rabbi, and they learned from their rabbi. They watched their rabbi, and they hoped that they would become like their rabbi. And there's a saying from around Jesus' time that kind of lets us in on this a little bit. It says this. It says, let your home be a meeting house for the sages, and cover yourself with the dust of their feet, and drink in their words thirstily. Maybe you're familiar with the gospels, like, why is Jesus always in people's houses teaching? Well, that was custom, that you would open up your home for these rabbis to come in and teach. But the second part of that saying is let the dust of their feet cover your, cover your face, basically. They're saying you should walk so closely behind your rabbi that your, your face just is covered with the dust from his feet. That practically be close to him, follow him, watch him, learn from him, duplicate him. I mean, that's what following Jesus was. Now, Jesus isn't here physically today for us to follow like that. So the question is, can we actually follow Jesus? It might be easier for us to say, I believe in Jesus, or I attend church, or I read the Bible, or I pray. But would you say that you follow Jesus? Like, I'm trying to live out like if Jesus were here. I'm trying to live as Jesus would live. I'm trying to do as Jesus would do. What was important to him, I'm trying to make important to me. I'm trying to speak into the world as if Jesus would speak into the world. I'm trying to duplicate and be Jesus in my world. Like, I'm trying to follow him. And maybe one kind of giveaway if we're following Jesus or not is um, submission. Like, when we're in those points in our lives, we're saying, I want to do this. But a follower of Jesus wants, so I'm not going to. Or, or I, I don't want to do that, but a follower of Jesus would, so I'm, I'm going to do that. Like, that's following. So for those of us that say, yes, I, I would say that I follow Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Does following Jesus ever make you nervous? When you look at kind of the track record of God, he doesn't seem overly concerned with our comfort. Right? You go way back, I mean, even to Abraham. When he first calls Abraham to follow him. What's he tell him to do? 
leave everything, come follow me. Like, where are we going? Don't worry about it. I'll show you. Just let's go. Like this big trust. Moses flees Egypt, right, because he commits a crime. He kills somebody, gets a new life started, married. He's got a sheep, shepherd to flock there. His life is good. And then he calls him to go back to Egypt. That can't be that comforting. Right, Gideon, there's a ton of stories here. Gideon's one, he says, lead an army. You're going to fight against an army of thousands, but I only want you to have an army of 300. Doesn't sound that comforting, right? Jonah, go to Nineveh. Last place he'd want to go, right? But God doesn't seem overly concerned like that. Like, here's, wh- where would you like to go, Jonah? No, it's go here. Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, I'm sure she would have preferred to be younger when she was blessed with a child. I bet Mary would have preferred to have been a little older, probably married when it was her turn. Jesus goes up to Peter and, and asks him to make this dramatic career switch on the spot. Drop everything and follow me. There's another time when a guy wants to drop everything and follow Jesus, and Jesus tells him, no, stay. There's a crazy demon-possessed guy that people chained him up outside of town. Jesus comes and heals him, so he's like, I want to come with you, right? These people chained me up. He says, no, I want you to stay. It probably would have been more comfortable to go. Or his 11 disciples that were left up on a mountain, he tells them to continue the message that got him killed. Or the one that we're going to look at today that might scare you the most is he told a rich guy to sell all his stuff. That's who we follow. He doesn't seem overly concerned of our comfort or, or bringing his plans to line up with our convenience. I mean, it could be scary. And you may be thinking, that's why I don't follow Jesus. Believe, yeah, attend, sure, read, occasionally, pray, often, follow. I mean, that's how people end up living in Papua New Guinea, right? Or moving to Iowa. <laughs> it's like minus six, I think, today or something. It's crazy. Um, right, there's this fear, like, if I follow Jesus kind of really open-handed, then he's going to ask me to do something crazy, like sell my sports car to feed orphans or something like that. It just seems like Jesus is okay with crazy stuff. And I'm supposed to follow that? And following that could make you nervous. There was a situation, it was my first year here in college, um, and my, my roommate was from Los Angeles, uh, kind of the Compton area, and I'm from... Iowa, so two different worlds, but we're great friends, and he wanted to take me home one weekend. It's like, we're going to go see Los Angeles. Awesome. I've never been. Let's go do it. I want to see the ocean, and he told me he wanted to take me to Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles. Chicken and waffles. I said, I like chicken. I like waffles. <laughs> Let's get crazy. Let's go. So we loaded up two cars. There was a bunch of people with us, so he was going to drive, and then I was going to drive, and he said, follow me. It's no problem through Yuma. It's kind of a straight shot. But then we get to Los Angeles, and the people drive differently there than in <laughs> Iowa. Like in Iowa, we let people in front, we wave. I think I got waved at a few times, but it was differently. And there was, I mean, he was, he's familiar with the city. He, he's crazy a little bit on his own, but he, he's, he's more comfortable with things that I'm not comfortable with, and he knows the city, and he's weaving in and out of cars and driving up on the medium, and he's going all over the place, and I'm like, I'm not comfortable with this. Like, I'm either going to get lost or killed, and when we think about following Jesus, I'm not saying Jesus is a crazy driver, but here's, here's the thing. He sees more than we see, and he knows more than we know, and he's more comfortable with more than what we're comfortable with, and following that is going to be an adventure. But he was upfront about it all along. I mean, he said, look, if you want to follow me, you better count the cost, right? Don't start building a house unless you know you got enough to build it. 
foxes have dens, birds of the air have holes. I have no place to lay my head. Like, if you want to be my disciple, then take up your cross and follow me. Like he said, it's going to get bumpy. Like he, he was up front with it all along. This is what it means to follow me. So here's a scary thought for us today that follow Jesus, but don't actually have Jesus physically here saying, go here, let's go to this city, get out of the boat, you feed the 5,000. Like not actually giving us commands like that, but we have to kind of apply what it looks like for us to follow Jesus in our day. Here, here's what may happen. Maybe we do follow Jesus we just never follow him beyond what we're comfortable with. Like, we're driving. He's not in the car in front of us. He's in our passenger seat. And we get to kind of determine the terms. Right? You want generosity? Okay, I can do generosity, but not 75. I drive below the speed limit on that one. Or you want evangelism? Okay, I'll talk about you, but only when other people bring it up. Or you want, you know, you got a heart for the nations and the hurting and the poor, and you want me to go places. Okay, if it's someplace I'd like to visit anyways. And we kind of set terms and we negotiate things. And, and look, if, if that's where you're at right now, and it's like, look, I took a leap of faith given 2%, and, and you do talk about Jesus if it's only when other people bring it up. That's awesome, okay? I mean, that is awesome. I do not want you to leave here feeling guilty, like you're not doing enough. It's not about doing stuff. It's about who's your master. And we're going to take a look at that. But I don't want you to leave here feeling guilty, but I would love it. I would love it if you left here feeling more curious. Like, what if I let obedience take me beyond my comfort? What's out there? What would I find? Who would I become? What would I get involved with? What would God do through me? And what would I discover? So Luke chapter 18, we're going to start in verse 18. Uh, Tim, when, when Tim asked me to share one last time, this story came to mind, mostly because I was reading it when he asked me. Uh, I said, that'll preach. Let's do that. Um, but I think how we see this story says a lot about how we'll end up living our lives. So Luke 18, starting with verse 18, says this. A ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that is an excellent question. That's a question that you might have on your mind. In fact, if you had time with Jesus and they said you can ask one question, maybe that's the question that you would ask. What do I got to do to inherit eternal life? Tell me what I got to do. And that's what he's asking. What do I have to do? Like, basically, how can I save myself? Surely there's something I can do. Do I got to give more? Do I got to show up more? Do I got to... Uh, obey something I don't know about. Tell me what I have to do to inherit eternal life. And the question, even though he's trying to achieve something on his own, is very flattering because he thinks Jesus has the answer to eternal life. That's a bold question. So Jesus answers, verse 19, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So Jesus doesn't go right to his question or so he thinks. Jesus gets right to the main issue. And what's the main issue? If you have a pastor asking you a question in church, what's the good guess answer? Jesus, right? If you remember nothing else from me, just keep shouting Jesus, right? Jesus himself is the main issue. It's like you call me good, only God is good. Don't, don't call me good unless you think I'm God. Do you think I'm God? Because if you want to talk about eternal life, that's the issue. Who do you think that I am? Who do you think that I am? And that's the question he's posing. Do you think that I'm God? 
verse 20. I think he lets it sit there a little bit. Like, I just, I'm going to throw this out here because this is the real issue. Who are you saying that I am? And the guy doesn't want to answer that question yet, so he, he continues. Verse 20, he says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. So Jesus starts listing some of the Ten Commandments. Like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Like, you know the rules. Why are you asking me this? He even says, you know the commandments. So it's back to this issue. Why are you coming to me with this question about eternal life? Who do you think that I am? But then he answers, verse 21, he says this. The guy jumps right in like he's proud of himself. He says, and he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. Wow. <laughs> so you're saying you're good. Because I thought you said I was good. But now you're good. O- only one person is good, God. So are you God? I mean, which is it? You said that I was good. Now it sounds like you're good. Who is it? Are you God or am I God? I mean, you came to me with a question about eternal life. Do you need my help or can you save yourself? Because if only God is good, you sound pretty good with those credentials. And this man is kind of backed off like he just entered a conversation he was not ready to have. I just had a simple question, right? I didn't want to get into this. I just want to know what do I have to do to have eternal life? He's a businessman. He's a bottom line guy. Just tell me. I'll get right to the point, Jesus. I won't waste your time. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Just tell me what I got to do. He's a rich man. Jesus is a traveling rabbi, often kind of lived off people's generosity. Maybe the guy asked the question with his checkbook out. Tell me what it co- what's it going to cost, Jesus? What do I got to do to have eternal life? And Jesus is about to give him a price, but it doesn't go right to his pocketbook. It goes right to his heart. Verse 22, the first part, this is what it says. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. You ever feel that way? Like something's missing? Like I go to church, I read my Bible, I give some money, I'm in a group, I volunteer. It still seems like just something's missing. Like I do a lot of things, but I'm still missing something. I mean, this is how this guy felt. He's like, I'm, I've done all those things since I was a kid. But yet he still comes to Jesus with this question because something's missing. Like I, I feel like I, even though as busy as I am and as good as I am, I'm still missing something. And he is. What is he missing? All right, three of us. Now, if those three people tell the person next to him, we could do like telephone across the room, right? He's missing Jesus because all up to this point, all it is is religion. That's all it is. It's like I show up at the right place at the right time. I do the right things. I avoid the wrong things. But it's not about relationship. It's not about a love or a trust or a dependence with God. It's about his activity. And he's missing it. And he knows he's missing it. That's why he's asking these questions. So he says one thing that you still lack. And here's his answer. And he's going to get right to what he's missing. Sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus found his idol. Not like a little statue he worshipped, but he looked into his heart and his value system, and he found his idol. 
when he looked in there, he realized that God was not the most important thing to him. Maybe for you it's a reputation or a lifestyle or a job or a spouse. It's those things we love so much that when it comes to following Jesus, we'll say, I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll do this, but I won't sacrifice that. Like you can have 99% of it, Jesus, but, but don't ask me to do away with this, right? That's your idol. I call it meatloaf devotion. Not the food meatloaf, but the singer. You guys remember Meatloaf the singer? Some of you do. I take a risk giving like meatloaf. It's not like it's the Rolling Stones or something. It was meatloaf, right? He had, a, he, had one, uh, he had a lot of hit songs. He had one hit song, I'd Do Anything for Love. You guys know it? Don't make me go karaoke on you, but it's like, <laughs> I, would, I would rock it. Uh, but it's, I would do anything for love, anything you've been dreaming of, but I won't do that. I haven't listened closely enough to know exactly what meatloaf won't do for love. Um, but that's what's going on here. This guy's like, just tell me what I got to do for eternal life. I'll do anything. And then Jesus tells him, he's like, oh, but I won't do that. Right? Do you have meatloaf devotion? Doesn't that sound bad, like a fungus or something? <laughs> you could ask your spouse, hey, are you a meatloaf Christian? It's this idea that there are things we won't do for Jesus. And we can try and tend to negotiate the relationship, can't we? Like, Jesus, I'll do this, but I won't do that. And I'm comfortable serving in this way, but not in that way. And I'll give this much, but I won't give that much. And I'll go here, but I won't go there. And we kind of set the terms, we negotiate it, but it doesn't work that way. And when you live that way in Christianity, you're missing it. You're completely missing it, and you're in a danger of realizing you're missing it, and you don't even know it. Think of it this way. I shared this at Gateway a while back, but think of it this way. How many of you have ever kind of risked asking somebody out on a date? All these married people just went right into it. You, how many people would never raise their hand in church? Okay. <laughs> All right. If you've kind of risked yourself, uh, kind of put yourself out there and say, and asking somebody out on a date, and you get that answer of, I don't want to hurt our friendship, right? You just that, that turn down of like, let's just be friends. And as polite and as nice as they are, that's still a rejection, right? Nobody that hears that runs back to their friends and like, hey, she said, no, but she wants to be my friend, right? That's not like, <laughs> nobody's excited about that. It's, it's a rejection. They can be really sweet, and they can be really polite, but you didn't want to be friends. You wanted to be more than friends. So it's still a rejection. So for us, God wants this all-in relationship. I'm your rabbi. You're my disciple. Come and follow me. Let's do life together. Live with me. I will teach you. I will pour into you. You will take over after me. Come. This is what I want. This is the type of relationship I want. And I think for us, a lot of times, nobody's really saying, no, get away from me, Jesus. I don't want anything to do with you. But they're not really saying, yes, I'm all in either. It seems like in suburban church America, the answer is, can we just be friends? Can we just be friends? Like, I like you. I don't know if I like you like you. I mean, slow your roll, Jesus. Let's sell everything stuff. <laughs> Let's take our time. It's like, I think I agree with you on most everything. I would like to hang out. I just don't know if I like you that much, or I don't like you in that way. Or, yes, I think you're good. I just don't think you're good enough. And as polite as we put it, and as often as we keep showing up on Sundays, that's still a rejection. Because Jesus is not asking to be your friend. 
And it's scary because it's a polite rejection, so it can leave us thinking that, you know, you and God are cool. It's like, are you a disciple? Well, no, but we work something out. We're friends. And someday you won't hear, depart from me. I never knew you. Well, here Jesus leaves no room for confusion. He has this define the relationship moment with this guy. He said, you said I was good, right? Okay, let's put that to the test. Am I good enough to trust with your life? Am I good enough to provide for you? Am I good enough to take care of you? Am I good enough to, to follow? Am I good enough to obey? Do you think I'm good enough for that? You said that I was good. Great, let's go. You're in. You're with me. Right? You said that I was good. Let's put that to the test. And the guy walks away sad because Jesus wanted to be more than friends. And Jesus is like, I won't be your advisor, but I'll be your God. And we can tend to look at the story and think, oh, poor rich guy. I mean, Jesus, you did kind of come on a little strong with the sell everything part. But no, poor Jesus. He's the one that got rejected. He's saying, you want in? Yes, come and be my disciple. Live with me. Do life with me. Follow me. Get close to me. You, you're in. And the guy told Jesus, no, I, I, want, I want my stuff. And put yourself in the rich guy's shoes, which are shoes none of us want to be in, if we're honest, right? Because it's like, I sure hope Jesus never asked me that question. Well, you can relax. I mean, Jesus didn't go around asking people to give up all their money, and I don't want you to feel guilty if you, for having money. That's not the point. The issue isn't about money. The issue is about how do we see Jesus? It's not a money issue. It's a master issue. But let's put yourself in the, in the rich guy's shoes for a moment. But let's not jump right to the sell everything part. Let's back up to the beginning of this conversation because everything hinges on this. At the beginning, do you call Jesus good teacher? Do you think Jesus is good? Because this is how this whole thing gets started, with this idea that Jesus is good. What it's really about is who is Jesus to you, not only theologically but functionally. Is he good? Does he care? Is he dependable? Can you trust him? Or do you see him as indifferent and distant or demanding? Let me ask you this. When you look at verse 22, what part stands out to you? What part do you remember? It seems, when it comes to this story, it seems what sticks out to most people or all that they remember from this story is just Jesus asking some rich guy to sell all his stuff. Let me read it to you again. It says, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Jesus is not trying to make a rich guy poor. He's good. Jesus is giving him insider trader advice and a job offer. You came to me with a question about how to get into heaven. I will tell you how to be rich in heaven. And, and come and be with me and be close to me and live with me and, and, and follow me and take over after me this mission that I'm on. And if you really do believe that God is good, then that's a sweet deal. Maybe the problem is all that we're hearing is the first part. Right? Sell everything. It's like, ah, I don't know if I could do that, right? We don't hear, you'll be rich in heaven and come follow me. We don't hear the, 
the trader advice and the, the job offer. All we hear is sell everything. It's like, oh, I couldn't do that. Well, maybe the first part for you isn't, isn't that. It's forgive him. Forgive him and you'll find freedom and peace. And all you hear is forgive him. And you're thinking, oh, I, I could never do that. You don't know what he did. You don't know how it was wrong. You don't know how it was hurt. I couldn't do that. And maybe the first part is speak up and share the gospel with them. And you will see me work in their life. But we don't hear you'll see me work in their life. All you hear is speak up and share the gospel. And you think, oh, I could never do that. You don't know them. They would laugh me out of that room. And we go meatloaf on it, right? Like, I, I won't do that. Like, I, I can't do that. And when we do that, we miss out. We completely miss out. Following Jesus is not just a meaningless responsibility. It's not just a duty that you're supposed to do because you're a Christian. It has purpose. Following leads to finding. Do you get that? Following leads to finding. Why did God ask Abraham to leave everything to a, a new land? He says, I got, I got plans for you. I'm going to make a nation out of you. Why did he ask Moses to go back into Egypt and follow him in that scary way? Because I'm going to take you to the promised land, and I'm going to set my people free. Why, why did he tell Peter to leave everything to follow him? Because I'm going to make you a fisher of men. I have a plan for you. You think, yeah, but those are kind of like big-name characters in the Bible. Okay, here's more general statements to all of us. When Jesus says, there's a broad road and a narrow road, and a lot of people, most people, go on the broad road, and that leads to destruction. But following me, which I'm inviting everybody, is a narrow road. But the narrow road leads where? To life. Or Matthew 16, where he says, come and be my disciple, but anybody that wants to be my disciple must take up their cross and follow me. And if they try to protect their life, they'll lose it. But if they lose their life for my sake, they'll what? They'll find it. Following leads to finding. So let's say this story went differently. Well, they, they just call him the rich guy. He doesn't have a name, but let's, let's call him Bob, right? It's a good first century Hebrew name. Let's say Bob goes up and asks Jesus this question. You know, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? This conversation goes down, and finally Jesus turns to Bob, and he says, all right, sell all your stuff, give it to the poor. You'll be rich in heaven, and come follow me. And Bob says, done, I'm in, let's go. What, what happens? You think Jesus is good enough to provide for him, to care for him, that has plans for him? I think he goes on and witnesses things like healings and people raising from the dead and feeding 5,000. You think beyond that, he goes on to be part of the group that changes the world? I mean, maybe today, if Bob would have made a better decision, there'd be 67 books in the Bible, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Bob you'd get to hear his perspective and his story. But he didn't. He said no. And I bet this rich young ruler many years from this time, when he's an old rich ruler, is lying on his deathbed and he would give anything to go back to this day, his encounter with Jesus and make a different decision because he followed his wealth but he didn't find life. Life knocked at his door. Life gave him a job opportunity. Life gave him inside knowledge to the wealth of heaven. And I bet he wished he could go back and make a different decision. Following Jesus is a series of adventures outside of our comfort zone. And the only reason anybody would ever venture out is because they believe that God is good. So let me 
Let me speak to your imagination a bit. What if, what if you followed Jesus beyond the limits of your own comfort? Who might you become? What might you do? What are some things that you may get involved with? What might God do with you and through you? Things that you would get to experience. And to some of you hearing this by nature, I'm going to speak to you. you. You by nature are a risk taker and you love adventure. So you're just, your foot's tapping and you're ready to go home and just drop the bomb on your wife. Like we're going to Chile and making spears and telling the natives, like let's do it. Good luck with that, all right? <laughs> no, I'm Look, maybe you've just watched a lot of documentaries and you're motivated. Or God is leading. And if he is, he's good. Go. But for most of us, our comfort zone is like this row that I'm sitting in. Like literally, if somebody comes and they're in my seat, I'm uncomfortable, right? Or it's like just coming on Sunday is my comfort zone. But if you start to ask me to give money or to serve or to get into one of those groups where people do life together and, and know each other and care for each other, it's like, no, nah, that's out of my comfort zone. But listen, Jesus tells us that we should. And he's good. So who might you become if you engaged like that? Or maybe for you what's holding you back is there is bitterness in your heart and anger and there is somebody you just cannot forgive. And, and you do meatloaf it. You're like, I, I'll go to Chile and weave baskets, right? I'll, I'll, I'll serve, I'll give money, I'll get in a group, I'll do whatever, but I won't do that. I, I won't forgive him, I can't forgive him. Listen, Jesus tells us we need to. And he's good. So what lies on the other side of forgiveness for you? You can trust him, even when it seems crazy. Here's the bottom line. The next time following Jesus is pushing you outside of your comfort zone, instead of seeing it as too demanding or too scary, remember this. God is good, and he has something for you beyond it. And maybe you're the guy who's trying to save yourself that you're coming up with the question, what do I got to do? And you do a lot. It doesn't work that way. Only God is good, and you need Jesus. And following Jesus is probably scarier than living up to your own standards. But he's good. When you think about this, God is inviting you know him that may be scary go for it it's good and the only reason that we sinful people can know a holy God is because Jesus came to us first he comes to us and he bridged this gap of, of sinful people that are lost and he went to a cross and he paid a penalty that we deserve because of our sin and he gave us his righteousness that we don't deserve. So now, because of that act, you don't just get a ticket to heaven. You get restored back to a relationship with God who's saying, come, follow me. And as scary as that is now, he's good. And you can trust him. And he has things for you. Amen? All right, there's going to be some guys that are come down and pass out some trades, and we're going to take communion, and we're going to remember what God did 
to bring us back into this relationship. And as you kind of hold these elements that represent Christ's body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us, I want you to know that his grace is sufficient for your sin. But the motivation and the heart behind that act was because there is a God who wants to know you. And he doesn't want to be your advisor and he wants to be more than friends. He wants to be your God. And taking that cracker and taking that juice is not only confessing your sin and confessing your need for grace, it's also confessing your desire to be in that type of relationship with our God. And when you do that, you know that he is good and he has things for us. And I think it would be awesome if we worshiped like people who are united again with a holy God. Amen? All right, let me pray. Father God, I'm so thankful um, for this church and the people I have met and the ministry that has happened and um, what you're doing through redemption. And I consider it a blessing my time here. Father, I I pray that um, everybody in this room would know you relationally, would follow you even beyond the limits of our own comfort, and we would have stories to tell, and we would tell each other, and we would tell the world of your goodness and how your grace is sufficient, and how you love us despite our sin, and how you've made a way for us to be together again. May our lives be an example of that. Amen.